Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hi, everyone. You're listening to So Violento, So Macabro podcast. Yo soy Ali. Y yo soy Dee. Y hoy Dee nos contará de un caso que sucedió en San Bernardino, California. Valentine's Day is typically celebrated as the day of love, with streets adorned with flowers, teddy bears, heart-shaped gifts, and balloons, a time for grand gestures of affection. However, in 1993, what started as a couple's quarrel in a parking lot turned into a bloody tragedy. This is the tragic murder of Ignacia Manriquez. Advertencia. La información de este caso puede ser desencadenante para algunos. Tengan cuenta que algunos de estos casos pueden involucrar menores de edad, abuso, violación o violencia. Escuchen con precaución. Warning. The information on this case can be triggering to some. Please be advised that some of these cases may involve children, abuse, rape, and violence. Listen with caution. at that point said what are you doing here you're not supposed to be here they argued she pulled out a restraining order he she said that uh, you can't be here I got this restraining order that keeps you away from me he basically said in front of the victim's sister no piece of paper is going to keep me from you and uh, I could see clearly as he wrestled her out of that truck and just basically dragged her down and without looking around or anything just right under and fired and this really gets to me because you could imagine a four-year-old saying this. He basically said he shot her in the head, he shot her in the stomach, and there was ketchup everywhere. I mean, I can only imagine a four-year-old saying that and, and what was going through his mind at that time. Ignacia Manriquez is described as a loving and kind-hearted person by her family. Ignacia met Juan Manuel Navarro in high school when they were both 16 years old. Soon after meeting, they began dating, and Ignacia became pregnant with their first child. Over the course of several years, they had three children together and lived in San Bernardino, California. In December of 1992, Juan Manuel had kicked Ignacia out of the home, and she ended up moving in with her parents in San Bernardino with her children. In January of 1993, so practically like a month and a half or so, or two months, Juan Manuel told Ignacia that he wanted to get back together. Ignacia had told Juan Manuel that she didn't want to get back together, that she refused, and that she didn't want to see him anymore. According to Maria Murillo, Ignacia's sister, 
Juan Manuel became very angry after Ignacia wouldn't take him back. She testified that when Juan Manuel did not know where Ignacia was at, he would become very desperate and angry. So he technically took the breakup really bad. Um, but even before the breakup, the, the relationship wasn't really well. They were always fighting. They were always bickering. And it was just not a healthy relationship. Yeah, y él la corrió. Yeah, he was very possessive over her and like what she was doing. And according to like articles and stuff, like he just kind of wanted to do his own thing. Uh, mind you, they got together when they were 16. At this time, they were both 24 years old. So it's kind of during that time period where it's like, I'm tired of this responsibility. I want to explore what's out there. I want to relive my youth. And it, it was just, it was just a very awkward time. You know, I feel like a lot of teenagers that get together in that time and then, you know, have kids and grow up together. There, there's always conflict because of you know their youth and like trying to relive it or whatever. Y lo tenían tres hijos. Yeah. So él todavía él estaba en esa in that phase where he wanted to be out and having fun and staying out late and meeting people. It's like no, no, bro, you're a dad. Exactly. <laughs> you're a family man. Like get it together, man. Yeah. In court documents, Maria Hernandez. Juan Manuel's sister testified that Juan Manuel actually told her that he was jealous of a neighbor that they had, and he believed that that neighbor was getting too close to Ignacia. He also told his sister that he was going to kill Ignacia. Um, she also recalls that um, he said something along the lines of, "If I can't have her, no one can." So he was very he has he had gone to that point of possessiveness and trying to control her and um, trying to, you know, just be very controlling of her lifestyle and who she was with and who she was talking to. And it's, it's just overall, it's just a very toxic behavior. On February 13th, 1993, Ignacia had taken her three children to visit um, a friend at Baseline Apartments in Highland, California. And she was just going to go there to visit them and then leave like shortly after according to deputy districtive attorney margaret baven the timeline of the event started with juan manuel showing up to those apartments um, at 8 a.m on february 14th um, according to different articles some say that the kids opened the door and he went inside um, others articles say that the friend told um, Ignacia that he was outside so it, it's just kind of murky and based on the timeline it's like 1993 so it's like really far removed so it's a little bit murky but based on the article that I had read they had one of the kids had actually let, them, let him in because it was their dad and you know they didn't find anything wrong with that right once inside of the home Ignacia and Juan began to have an argument Ignacia pulls out a restraining order that she had against him. And in a rage, Juan Manuel told Ignacia, quote, no piece of paper is going to keep me from you. Oh, a scary person. 
That's frightening. Con todo su comportamiento y luego decirle a su hermana que tenía planes de, de asesinarla y luego decirle un comentario así, Ignacia. That's... That's it's already a, a big red flag. It's a huge red flag. Yeah. yeah. Ignacia and Juan Manuel argued while Ignacia tried to call the police. But some sources said that Juan Manuel forced the phone away from her. Um, another court document say that she actually, you know, put the phone down and just asked him to leave. Um, eventually, the family left the home and both Ignacia and Juan Manuel went their separate ways. According to Deputy, uh, District Deputy Attorney uh, Margaret Beaven, at around 12 p.m., Ignacia went to the San Bernardino swap meet with her sister and the kids. They both arrived there and realized that Juan Manuel was actually following them while they were walking around the swap meet. According to court documents, the sister had testified that Juan Manuel wasn't told that they were going to be there. So when they both parted ways, they figured that Juan Manuel actually followed them there. So that's how they knew that basically he was stalking them. At some point, Juan Manuel approaches Ignacia at the Swami, but she doesn't want him near her and tells him to go away. He follows him around for about an hour and then he leaves. Shortly after, the family ends up getting into the car and they leave as well. But he ends up following her to the sister's home. So, again, he's stalking her and following her every move. After they arrived at the home, she decides to take her four-year-old um, Juan or Juanito Manriquez to the to the. Loma Linda University Medical Center because he had the flu. So they left the two other kids with his sister while she took Juanito to, to the emergency room to get checked for the flu. The registration clerk at Lomita Linda University Medical Center uh, testified in court saying that Ignacia appeared to be to look very nervous and that she was looking over her shoulder constantly. So she felt that she was, she was uneasy, that she was like, she had this fear that somebody was following her. According to the San Bernardino Sun, at around 3 p.m., Bradford Montgomery, an ambulance tech that was in the parking lot of the, of the hospital, um, witnessed the pair arguing in the parking lot of the hospital. He told investigators that he had seen Ignacia carrying her son while she was sobbing and crying. He then witnessed Juan Manuel arguing with her aggressively and saw that they began to have a scuffle in the parking lot. He then says that he had seen Ignacia place Juanito into the car, got, got in the car herself, while Juan Manuel actually opened the door and pulled her out of the vehicle. According to Bradford, he saw Juan Manuel pull out a gun, took Ignacia out of the car, and placed his left hand on the back of her neck 
and pushed her down in a down motion and then pulled out a handgun and fired three shots. Ignacia was shot once in the right of her head, once in the abdomen, and then once she was in the ground, he shot her again on the left side of her head. Shortly after shooting, Juan Manuel left the scene of the crime and pulled Juanito out of the backseat of the car and fled the scene. He, he knew what he was doing. He went there with the intention. Yeah. He, I mean, he had, he was carrying the gun already, yeah. so it, his, his intentions were clear from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Juan Manuel took the child, got into the car, and left the parking lot. Bradford testified that he attempted to follow Juan Manuel for a short period of time, but Juan Manuel accelerated the car so quickly that he had to stop himself and return to the emergency room parking lot. Ignacia Manriquez was pronounced dead at the scene at 3.43 p.m. The forensic pathologist says that she died within minutes of being shot. The victim whose cause of death was multiple gunshot wounds and was declared a homicide. According to court documents, Juan Manuel then drove off and stopped at a restaurant that was nearby where he made a phone call. Juan Manuel and Juanito were both picked up by a person in a car, an unknown car to uh, Juanito at the time. Juanito testified that he had seen Juan Manuel give the gun to the driver who had picked them up while this man put the gun in the glove department of the vehicle. Juanito also testified saying, quote, there was just parties every day. Adults at the ranch drank and sang songs around a fire, and they treated me very meanly. Court documents declared that Juanito was taken to the ranch, where he stayed there for a while. But after um, a couple of weeks within the ranch, he didn't see his father again. He oh, was dropped wait. off at the... Yeah. Wow. He, was, he didn't see his father once he was dropped off at the ranch. And um, he never saw him again. According, they don't know exactly when he left, when? Okay, but okay. but they know that he was there for at least like three, three maybe four weeks in the ranch. He was, yeah, he was like probably there for three weeks. But after a while of being in the ranch, he never saw his dad again. Yeah. So he didn't even know when his dad had left. At some point in time, a man that worked in the ranch took Juanito to his paternal grandmother's home in Coachella Valley. On March 3, 1993, Maria Hernandez, who is Juan Manuel's sister, heard a knock at the door of her parents' apartment. When they opened the door, they found Juanito alone in the front door and they immediately called the police to inform them that they had found Juanito. When Juanito was interviewed, the toddler told authorities that the day of the crime, there was a lot of ketchup everywhere. Mm. Poor I know. baby. It was, but that's the part that hurt me the most, is that 
that's the main thing he remembers about the day that his mom passed away. ¿Cuántos años tenía Juanito? He, he was four years old. Tan chiquito. Yeah. San Bernardino Court Deputy District Attorney Margaret Baven tracked Juan Manuel in Mexico, but they were unable to pin down a location of where he was. For years, they searched for him and asked for the Mexican authorities to help him, to help them on the search for Juan Manuel. She said, quote, Felipa and her father, Antonio Manriquez, turned every stone. They went down to Mexico almost every other weekend and hunt him down. That just shows the pers perseverance of the family and the need for justice. We had the victim's father who every other weekend with his other daughter, Felipe, would go down to Mexico. As I said, there was information believed that the defendant was down in Mexico in Michoacan, I think is what it's called. He had family down there and every weekend or every other weekend they would go down there and just show her picture show his picture and try to get some information talk to the police down there um, and this was ongoing not until 2009 did we find out where he was and extradite him in 2009 we get a call from the FBI task force um, one of the officers uh, Spurser Vazic he's a San Bernardino PD but he is assigned to that task force he gives us a call and says hey I think we know where your guy is do you still want him In September 2010, Juan Manuel Navarro was returned to the U.S. While he returned to the U.S., he left behind a second wife and children in Mexico. According to documents, it is also known that he had started a construction business and he was, you know, in charge of a lot of things within his own separate life in Mexico. And the Mexican police, as well as the FBI, went down and they contacted him down in Mexico City. They had found out that he had remarried, or he actually he had married because he wasn't married to Ignacia. He had uh, been raising her two children, as well as he and her had a child together. So he basically went on his happy, merry little self and basically forgot about it. his family up here and his children up here and went on living life to the fullest. So not only did Juan Manuel destroy the family of Ignacia in the U.S., but he also destroyed his children's life and the life of the second wife that he had in Mexico with his children that he had over there. So it just shows the carelessness that he had with no remorse at the fact that He could have just left everything behind and acted like nothing ever happened. Y ese el enojo, right? El, it's, it's so frustrating porque el enojo de los celos de él, los celos, el enojo, el rencor que le tiene Ignacia, que ella no quería regresar con él, del ella no querer estar con él, de he was like, if she's not for me, she's for no one. For what? Yeah. He murders her and then se va a México y encuentra otra esposa. Entonces, ¿para qué? He does a whole thing. For what? Like, he kills her. Supuestamente, él quería estar con ella. La asesina. And, oh, I'm just going to go get married again and have more kids. Yeah. So it was it's, it's just... 
Yeah. I completely understand. It's it's a form of like greed. Yeah. He wanted to have this life here with a person that didn't want to do anything with him anymore. And he was so persistent of what he wanted, ended up murdering this person. And for what? For no reason. That's ego. No reason at all. Yeah. When Juan Manuel was arrested, he actually testified that um, in court documents that he was actually going to commit suicide. And that's why he had the gun in his possession. He's, his intentions were not to kill Ignacia, but it was to kill himself on Valentine's Day. Because he felt that she rejected him and that that was the solution to his, uh, the rejection that she had given him. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah. just trying to think of like how his process. Yeah. Like, if si en su cabeza estaba de que se quería que quería cometer un suicidio ¿por qué no lo hizo después? cuando la asesina uh, ella like you know there's cases it, where they yeah. murder the family member and then they commit suicide so if he was so I'm gonna you know do it or not do it, do it right after it, yeah it. it's not that I'm saying oh you know I'm not like I'm not saying I do it. Do but, it right, exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying that. It's just as you were saying, I'm like thinking, if that was his intention, then what stopped him? Why did he do it? Well, that's the thing. It? He uh, there's no clear testimony on why he didn't do it. Because in the court documents, there's a, there was also a friend that had said that uh he thought that he was gonna kill himself based on a phone call that he had received mm. from Juan Manuel saying that he wasn't going to attend the party that they had they were holding off that day um because of the rejection that he had gotten from Ignacia. He said there's going to be no party till all my friends I said goodbye. But oh. there is like they, they that was just a testimony from that friend. Okay. Like there was no other proof that he was suicidal in any way or that he was actually you know depressed or anything there was more things against him than there were for the testimony of suicide oh he didn't like um he wasn't premeditated yeah like it just you think that he just said that just to somehow cover to get like away. a lower sentence yeah, yeah exactly Judge Howard Wilson ruled that there was sufficient evidence to hold Juan, Nav Juan Manuel Navarro on charges of murder and kidnapping. And on January 10th, 2011, almost two decades after Ignacia's murder, a San Bernardino County Supervisor Court judge sentenced 46-year-old Juan Manuel Navarro to 30 years to life in prison for the murder of Ignacia. Deputy District Attorney Margaret Baven, who prosecuted the case and said in a statement to the San Bernardino Sun, is quoted as saying, quote, I could not bring Ignacia back to her family, but I had it in my power to convince the jury that the defendant was guilty of the horrific crime and that he needed to be held accountable for his crimes. 
At the end of the day, Ignacia's parents raised the three children, which included Juanito and the two daughters that they both left behind. The two daughters were both seven and 11 at the time of the murder. Felipa Manrique told Patch.com, quote, Juanito, he has suffered and will continue to carry the burden of what he witnessed. His mental state is not that of a 22-year-old. He is very insecure and unstable. He suffers from anxiety. He did not finish high school no matter how much his grandparents and family insisted and persuade him to continue his education. He just seemed to see beyond the shooting. I know for a fact, just like any other child, he needed the guidance and love of his mother. Things would have had been very different if she was alive. He feels very lonely and not loved. We have all suggested counseling for him, but don't feel nor see the need for it. Not sure of what the future holds for him. We all worry about him daily and pray to God to guide him and protect him. Felipa continues by saying, quote, Because of her violence, brutal murder, my sister Ignacia Manriquez will never witness her children's and her grandchildren's special moments and accomplishments as they grow into adulthood. Esto es lo que Juan no se puso a pensar cuánto dolor le iba a causar, causar a sus hijos. A toda yeah. la familia, pero especialmente a los, a los tres niños. Yeah. A los, pobre like a Juanito, it, que miró todo. Yeah, he he's, so he's carries that... It's sad that he carries that guilt with him when it wasn't even his fault to no. begin with. He had nothing to do with it. He was just a bystander that was part of a brutal crime. I hope he gets the support. I mean, he has the support, but he needs additional support. I agree. Oh, man. As of now, there hasn't been any updates on the case. Or at least none that I could find on my own personal research. However, our hearts go out to Ignacia Manriquez, her children, to Juanito, and to the Manriquez family, and to whoever has been touched by the case. No one should go through this horrific hurt, especially, you know, her four-year-old son. Our hearts go out to them, and we hope that these types of crime can be prevented in the future. Yeah. This is a tragic case of Ignacia Manriquez. Mr. Navarro, you're a criminal, an abuser. We learn later you know, that what you did to my sister. If I knew then, you know, I guarantee you things will be different today. The defendant, Juan Navarro, brutally took my mother's life away on Sunday, February 14, 1993. His actions on that day dramatically changed my life forever. Now that we know in details what took place that dreadful day and how my sister spent the last minutes of her life, we're hurting even more. 
Today, Mr. Navarro, you're going behind bars for a very, for a very long, long time. And I hope that you reflect on your despicable actions that took away our sister, Ignacia. I didn't have my mom to be there when I graduated from high school or there for my wedding. What that does for me is knowing that somehow, some way, I've given that family an opportunity to say we've closed that chapter. Um, I guess I think about it if it were my family and I lost someone to violence. I would want anybody that could help any way to do what they could without being prompted or asked to because the way I was raised, um, that's the right thing to do. You, you, you help people, not because there's a reward or there's an accolade, you just do it because it's the right thing. And them being able to say, you know, he's been put through the justice system, he's been tried and convicted, that's the biggest reward. And, and seeing and talking to the family and knowing their relief but still with a lot of grief, words can't even, can't even describe that. Can't describe it. You, Juan Navarro, are the most horrible evil in the world. You deserve no mercy or pity from the court, jury, or anyone on your sentencing day, which is today. You deserve to be punished to the maximum extent of the law without any privileges whatsoever. You, Juan Navarro, deserve to rot in the deepest, darkest jail cell ever built. And that was the case for this week. Um, again, our hearts go out to the Manriquez uh, family and to the friends and to anybody who has been affected by this case. Um, it, it's truly a tragic case on, you know, a holiday that was meant to be for love. And, and, and you know, I don't know. It, it's it, we're getting closer to the anniversary, and it just you know, it, it's very painful. Una madre to que remember. ese día nada más quería agarrar la, la ayuda a su hijo, de llevarlo mm -hmm. al doctor y que su hijo estuviera bien y termina así. That's not okay. It's not. And it's so it's it breaks my heart to know that Juanito blames himself. Yeah. And that he carries, well, not blames himself, but he carries his guilt. You know, he was four years old. He four years old. He couldn't do anything. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if this might reach Juan Juanito in any way or anyone that knows him or his family listens to us. But you know, we we just hope that he gets the support that the three of them get the support that they need. And Juanito just know that, you know, your mom loved you. Yeah. He loved you so much. And if she was still here, you know, she would do anything just to, to be there for you, to support you, and to show you how proud she is of you and how much she loves you. Exactly. I think it's uh, losing a parent at that young age in that horrific way it, it it puts a lot of pressure um on the child especially witnessing it and we've had cases where this has happened before where children are witness to their parents murder um and it's it's so heartbreaking to even think that you know these children grew up with that that type of trauma at such a small age and, and sometimes, you know, 
they can either grow from it or blame themselves for it when in fact they had no control of the situation at that time so it's very heartbreaking um and again our, our hearts go out to them and, and to juanito we just want to you know let you know that you you were loved you were loved and you were cared for and, and he's still you loved. weren't to blame he's still loved you know um and you know it, it's 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 a very heavy you know heavy thing to carry around but it's it, it takes time and it, you know it, it's just it's just hard it's hard to find the words huh it is yeah because no words are gonna make things better yeah it's like almost like the detective the um the deputy said you know i can't bring her back yeah but i did everything i could in order for her to get justice and i feel like it's the same way you know you can't bring her back but you are a part of her and you are part of her legacy and it's only fair that you continue it um and and know that she she's a part of you and and i and it's hard to, to say that and make it seem like like it's 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 an empowerment not so much of a it's more of an empowerment and not so much a burden of what happened but again um our hearts go out to the family and if you want to talk about this case or have any information regarding this case or um you know just want to join the conversation you are more than welcome to um our social media platforms are open for any dms any uh comments any questions um or any information that you might have about this case um our instagram tiktok twitter or x as it's known now um or our threads are open you can um, follow us at at svsm underscore podcast or you can follow us on facebook as uh so it's my cover podcast just type it in um and we should be the first ones to pop up uh you can also listen to the rest of the 102 episodes um of our catalog on our apple podcasts spotify podcasts <clears throat> amazon music Google Podcasts for now, and wherever you stream podcasts, just type in Somacabra Podcast, and you can find all of our episodes there, or you can download the Latina Podcaster Network app. Just type in Latina Podcaster Network on your Apple Store. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, on your Apple Store. Download the app, type in Somacabra Podcast, and our whole catalog should be in their um, app. Um, but yeah, uh, just, you know, rate review subscribe to our uh podcast and um you know help us out let us leave us some good reviews and and make our day <laughs> hold on you mean you you're muted i can't hear you you muted yourself duh <laughs> <laughs> no i was just saying yes 100% to what you said just rate <laughs> rate us leave lovely reviews please i agree please um it would, it would make when we read them yeah very true and if they're negative please just be be good criticism i still we smile. accept that too yeah 
still smile. It's just a different smile. Okay. I know. It's a different. It's a, it's a not so. Oh my god, that was sweet. It was more like, thank you, I guess. Smile. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you much for um, sharing our episodes. Uh, it truly means a lot to us. And uh, yeah. Keep sharing. Yeah, we'll especially please, please keep sharing the stories. Definitely, you know it. Um, it means a lot to us that you guys, you know, share the stories, and, and it, it's just a way to keep the voices of those who have been voiceless um, be heard. So, thank you so much for listening, and um, see you guys next week. Yep, and nos vemos la próxima semana. Oh, there goes the pod. Hey, they're ready. They're like, ya terminen. They're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see you next. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys next right, week. Bye. Adios. Stay spooky. Quédate <laughs> spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.